Good morning again. So today is going to be our last standalone sermon before we start a new series that we're going to call The Life of Paul, which is sort of like not a new series because it's going to be The Life of Paul Part 3. So that'll be next week, and Mario can tell you all about that the way he wants to do it. Today, I want to talk to you about working out. Now, at first glance, when you see this dad bod, you might be thinking, and rightfully so, what can this guy tell us about working out? And you would have a valid point. But I'm telling you, I've been hitting the gym for weeks now, but I'm not getting any stronger. Nothing is happening. I think it's because every time I go, I only watch the workout. Now, I'm not a creepy gym stalker, like I'm not there at Planet Fitness just watching people. The, the type of workout that I'm talking about is uh, I oversee and help like 20 guys that are basketball program and they lift weights all the time and I just sit and watch. So there's a reason that it's not working for me. I'm not putting any work into it. And it shows. No one amen, that's a good thing at least. <laughs> Uh, Though the Bible does have some things to say about working out physically, that's not the workout that I mean for today. I'm talking about a spiritual workout, and the Bible has a whole lot to say about those. And though both physical workouts and spiritual workouts are both taught in the Bible, if you don't already know this, it seems to indicate that the Bible thinks that spiritual workouts are more important and more profitable than physical workouts. It says so kind of in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. The training of the body has a limited benefit. So that's a good thing. But godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's like a better thing. So yes, 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 by all means, get to the gym, pump that iron, hop on that treadmill, swim those laps, pedal those bikes, but make sure we get in godly spiritual workouts as well. That's God's position on that. Now I will say, I think that both physical and spiritual workouts have a lot in common. Both workouts are hard to do. There is no doubt about it. They're hard, they're strenuous, there's like a reason they're called work out. On top of that, it's hard to keep both physical and spiritual workouts on a consistent schedule. It's hard to not let other things, other appointments get scheduled out over the workouts. And certainly there are times where these workouts are easier than at other times, but by and large, for the most part, physical and spiritual workouts are hard to do, which means it is easy for us to at times get lazy on them or worse, quit. I think it's more than fair to say that we Christians can stall out on our spiritual workouts for the very same reason that people stall out on their physical workouts. Sometimes it's a lack of effort or lack of self-discipline, a lack of time management. I mean, if we're not putting in the proper effort for our physical workouts, it's real hard to go stand in front of the mirror and say, man, 
Nothing's happening. Look at this physique. I'm like still squishy and fluffy everywhere. And it's the same holds true for our spiritual workouts. Now, while physical and spiritual workouts have a lot in common, I think there is at least one glaring difference between them. And that is the disclaimer that comes with both of them. You ever seen disclaimers? Every physical workout disclaimer that I've ever seen says something like this. Stop exercising immediately if you experience pain, soreness, fatigue, shortness of breath, dizziness, lightheadedness, blurred vision, headache, nausea, sickness, illness, dehydration, excessive sweating, or any other discomfort. Well, no wonder I don't work out. Apparently, my old coaches did not write this because they taught the old, no pain, no gain. But in other words, that disclaimer is there for us to take our physical exercise workout seriously and the effects that they can have on our body. The spiritual workout that I have for us today is the spiritual workout that focuses in on us being in shape when it comes to holiness. Holiness comes with its own disclaimer. But where physical workouts say, stop exercising, this disclaimer says, pursue it. It comes right out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, and it says, pursue holiness. And then here's the disclaimer, because without it, no one will see the Lord. Living a holy life sounds like an intense spiritual workout. But let's talk about that word pursue for a minute. It's really important that we address this. Got to wrap our minds around this. Because I want to make us hopeful about holiness and not just hang our heads in shame. Like the amen I got from being puny over here earlier. Expecting perfection from yourself or from others is not what holiness is all about. We are instructed to pursue holiness. But that doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. It seems the Bible is very, very clear about the realisticness of holiness. Just because a person is a Christian doesn't mean that they're not going to struggle with sin and that we perfectly live out holiness. I think if you ask any Christian who's been a Christian for like a half hour, they would agree that that is true. I was so encouraged by some words from Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor up in North Carolina. And he described our our fight against sin and our struggle with holiness like this. He said, it's a fight we will win. You have the spirit of Christ in your corner, rubbing your shoulders, holding the bucket, putting his arm around you and saying before the next round with sin, you're going to knock him out, kid. Sin may get in its good jabs. It may clean your clock once in a while. It may bring you to your knees. But if you are in Christ, it'll never knock you out. That is true. So I say, let's pursue the spiritual workout of holiness and know that it comes with the promise that we will see the Lord. So the workout has three parts to it. Think of it like arms, abs, and legs. Part one, 
We are going to define the word holy. What does it mean to be holy? What is holiness? Part two, we're going to answer the question, how does a person become holy? Part three, answer the question, how does holiness grow in us? So let's work on the definition first. What does it mean to be holy? When we come to spiritual workout verses in the Bible, they're, they're like there. We're just reading along and, oh, here's a spiritual workout verse. One of those comes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. I think we can build a definition starting here at least. It says this, as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I think it's perfectly right when we think of holiness and connect it with and think moral living, right living, Ten Commandment kind of like living, right? To be certain, holiness is going to include that. But it goes way, 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 way deeper than that. And I say that because I like what we see in verse 16. When Peter says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy, he is quoting from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And what's interesting about this quote that Peter is using here from Leviticus is that when he says it, he's not only referring to human beings, he's also referring to things, things like tables and dishes. And then even in other areas of the Bible, we find that days are considered holy, the ground is holy, there's even a holy kiss talked about in the Bible. So being holy goes way deeper than just being moral. Because there's no way non-living objects like money or the ground can be moral, right? So it's more than this. The Hebrew word for holy means anything, human or otherwise, that is set apart, separate, different, consecrated to God. That is the definition of the word holy. And of course, God is holy. So he is totally set apart, separate, different from everything else. He is in his own elite category, totally different. There is no one like God. 1 Samuel 2.2 is just one of many, many, many verses throughout the Bible that talks about this. And it declares that there is no one holy like God. So then what does it mean for human beings or objects to be holy? Well, following the same definition, it means to be set apart for God. It means that they belong to God. Now that gets very interesting to belong to God. You can be moral and not belong to God. That's why, that's one reason why our definition for holiness can't just be limited to moral living. To be holy certainly includes that, but it goes deeper than that. Today, our culture, as as declining as it seemingly is, it is still filled with lots of moral people. There's lots of good citizens, lots of good moral neighbors, lots of good honest moral businessmen and business ladies, lots of integrity-filled moral politicians. That's true. But it doesn't mean that they are holy. To be holy means to personally belong to God, to be set apart for God. 
And I think there's a verse in, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16. It's the last part of verse 19 going into verse 20, and it makes it perfectly clear when it says that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. This is what it means to belong to Christ. Like, we do not live for ourselves anymore because we belong to another. So how does a person become that? And I think here we can make this really super personal. Like, each one of us can put our own name into these questions. Like, how does Doug become holy? How do I become set apart, separate, different? How can I belong to God? And you get to insert your name into these very important questions as well. So back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Can't miss this phrase in here, and it's when we see it. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. So how does a person become holy? According to this verse, by being called by the Holy One. If anyone is going to be holy, it happens by God calling them. That's the overriding theme all throughout the Bible. I mean, it's safe enough to say that anyone not called by God can't be holy. And everyone who is called by God will be holy, is holy. Now, how in the world can a person know if he or she is called? Bible tells us. Like everyone who is called by God to be holy will declare their faith in God's Son, Jesus. Everyone who is called by God to be holy is trusting Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. Everyone who is called by God to be holy has a personal relationship with the living creator of the universe. Everyone who puts their faith in this person is called by God and therefore holy. And once a person is called, once a person becomes holy, set apart, separate, it seems that the Bible teaches that this person remains holy forever. The Bible makes it sound like God moves into that person, like possesses that person, and the way of the Holy Spirit. Lots and lots of verses about it. I'm going to give you four. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives where? In you. Ezekiel 36.27. I will place my Spirit within where? You. And cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. 2 Timothy 1.14, guard through the Holy Spirit who lives where? In us, the good thing entrusted to you. And Romans 8.11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. That sounds lifelong. And he never leaves. But not only does he just not never leave, did you catch some of the things that he's doing while he lives inside of Christians? And this gets us to the third part of our workout. 
So quick review. Part one, what does it, the word holy mean? Set apart, separate, different, belonging to God. Part two, how does a person become holy? When they are called by God, the Holy Spirit moves inside of them. And now part three in the final part of the workout. As we pursue holiness, how does a person grow in holiness? Let's go back to Ezekiel 36 for just a second. In Ezekiel 36, we see that the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of those that God calls. And when he does that, it causes us, you, to follow God's statutes and carefully observe his ordinances. The Holy Spirit is at work inside of us. He is not just kicked back, reclined, doing nothing and taking up space. He is working in us. Paul said it this way in second, uh, no, not second. Where did he say it? In Philippians 2.13, he said this to his Christian friends. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Because of the work that God is doing inside of us, and by us I mean Christians, followers of Jesus, because of the work that he's doing, God is doing inside of us, it enables us. It allows us. It literally means it gives us the authority. It makes us operational and active to desire his good purposes and to work out his good purposes. A one-sentence summary would be this. We Work out what God puts in. I mean, that is the relationship. That is how we are invited to participate with God in working out this and growing in our holiness. Any desire that comes to us regarding his good purposes happens because of the work that God is doing inside of us. Isn't that amazing? And any time we pursue a good desire and we actually live it out, follow it out, we actually obey, it's because of the work that God is doing in, inside of us. I really wish I understood this earlier in my life. There was a time in my life that I believed that my good works, obeying God's commandments, reading the Bible, going to church, praying, and all that other sort of stuff was what made me holy. I don't believe that anymore. Those things do not make a person holy. Don't get me wrong. They're very important to do. But none of that makes a person holy. All of that happens, I would argue, it happens because a person is holy. Like, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is inside of us. This kind of stuff just comes pouring out of us. Like, to think a person can make themselves holy by their works and their actions, I think it's just wrong. It's thinking the same that a person can save themselves by their works and their actions. And there ain't no way that can happen. People can be only be saved by God through faith in Jesus. And a person can only be holy by God through the Holy Spirit. There is a phrase that is said in Christian circles that I really, 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 really dislike. It's this phrase. 
Ask Jesus into your heart. Now, I know some people say that phrase when they are trying to talk about the gospel, but that is not the gospel. Okay, I don't really dislike it. I think I hate it. It's a bad phrase. It's just, it's not helpful. It's confusing. It's harmful. It's not a phrase used in the Bible. But I guess I'm okay saying this. If the Holy Spirit dwells within a person, then certainly it means the Holy Spirit can be in their heart. But it's not just their heart. It's from head to toe. We have desires to do good purposes. We act out those desires all because of the inward act of the Holy Spirit that flows out of us. That's it. As believers, we are called to be set apart. That's what we say, live by God's standards. We are to have holy conduct. Which gets us to a really important question sometimes that we need to ask. Well, if God calls us to be holy and his Holy Spirit moves inside of us, indwelling us like we're possessed with it, then how come Christians still sin? How come Christians don't obey all the commandments all the time? How come sometimes it even seems like Christians barely belong to God? It's a one-word answer. Disobedience. Disobedience is why Christians still sin. Disobedience is why Christians don't always obey all the commandments all the time. Disobedience is why it can look like a Christian barely belongs to God. And it's the same disobedience that then prevents a deeper relationship with God. Romans 8, 11. Let me put that back up on the screen. Two staggering observations. At least they are to me, and I'm going to give them to you because if they're staggering to me, maybe they will be to you. It says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Here is staggering observation number one. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and the very same spirit that is going to raise every dead Christian someday back to life is the very same spirit that lives inside of us, his followers. That is staggering to me. You talk about power? Who needs big, bulky muscles when we got that? But the difference is, like, that's not our strength. That's his strength. I find it staggering, and I marvel at it. And we certainly should have a lot of praise on our lips about that. But here's staggering observation number two. Despite having the same, very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, despite having the very same spirit that is going to bring every dead Christian back to life someday, despite this very same spirit living inside of us right now as a follower of Christ, we still sin. That is staggering. It speaks to the incredible, intense spiritual battle happening inside of us. It speaks to the incredible power of sin that temporarily roams this earth. 
It speaks to our deep longing. Oh, Jesus, come back and fix me and fix all that is broken. It speaks to the need of taking our spiritual workouts seriously. Even with the almighty, powerful Holy Spirit residing and working in us, the Bible teaches that our disobedience can grieve the Holy Spirit, can quench it, stifle it. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Here we have the Holy Spirit, divine person, with emotions and feelings. And now in this verse, it is sorrowful. It is grieved because of our disobedience. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. The ESV translation says don't quench. Uh, HCSB says don't stifle the spirit. You ever had a fire going? Time to go. Time to break camp. Take the pot of water. (laughs) Quenched the fire. That's the picture that's given to us. Ever had a fire going and you put too much stuff on it? Like, oh, I'm gonna make it real big, but really what you do is you stifle it because you took all the oxygen supply away from it? That's exactly the picture that is presented for when God's children are disobedient to God, we're acting the same way with His Spirit. But here's the beautiful thing. The gospel, that has to be a huge part of our spiritual workouts. Like, you know, in a physical workout, it's always good like to stretch out right, before you work out. In our spiritual workouts, we, we have got to be a people that confesses and repents of our disobedience all the time. We are going to mess up. You will. I will. We all will. But we've got to have verses like 1 John 1, 9 stored right in the very front of our brain. We've got to have these kind of verses here. Or we'll get defeated and quit or lazy. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Sincere biblical repentance is just as much a part of a Christian's life as if the sin never happened in the first place. You got that? Let me say that again. Sincere biblical repentance is as much a part of a Christian's life as if the sin did not happen in the first place. You talk about amazing grace, that's it. Like if you don't sin, that's the work of the Holy Spirit that lets you be victorious over that sin. And if you do sin, we can repent and confess, and he forgives us. And there's the same incredible type of grace that is for us. We have this little phrase that says, to err is human. A better way of saying that, to sin is human. But to make progress against sinning, that's divine. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So undertaking this spiritual workout of holiness, it is not easy. It's hard. Be you, be holy, for I am holy. Pursue holiness, because without it, no one will see the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a gift 
you have given to us in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would have your, your will be done when we see words like this in the Bible, that we would, we would ponder them, that it would move us to be both awestruck with amazing gratitude of being called and having your spirit live within us. And that we'd also be moved to know that we don't always do it right so that you would make us a people who are quick to repent. Like make us so in tune with what you call good and right that we so quickly can identify that and recognize it. And the same way, make us so in tune with your will and your word that when we sin, it just jumps out at us. It's obvious. And that it bothers us, convicts us. So Lord, I would ask that you would keep us from sinning. And that when we do sin, that we would be quick to repent of our sins. And in both ways, see incredible grace that is given from you. And it certainly could be that there are people here today who hear this type of talking and go, Oh, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I feel a little bad when I get caught. A little regret. Father, I would ask, Lord, would you call them to repentance? Put your spirit within them. Let them grow in holiness. Let this, Father, all of us, would we see your rules and your standards not be drudgery, but let, let your spirit work in us in a way that we actually delight in those things, that we would be excited and joyful about those. It is not easy to work out spiritually. But because of you and your Holy Spirit, it is possible. And I would pray that we would pursue holiness and receive the promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out His good purpose. That's good news.